0: All right, well, good morning. Let me get you to stand up with me, please. We're gonna to pray together before we get into part two. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, just to give you some perspective very quickly, we are taking a look at this idea of how we change. There is an incredible amount that has been written, uh, both from uh, secular, scientific, psychological research, and the Bible that actually agrees and coincides. Um, but I don't know about you, for me, knowledge, unfortunately, almost never proves to be enough. Yeah. Like I actually need something to shift from my head to my heart. Something needs to actually shift from, from, from not only knowledge to understanding and not only understanding, but actually application. And so that's why some of us feel frustrated and at times hopefully a healthy desperate when we feel like we're living the same year over again. So I'm not going to get you to put your hands up, but I'm imagining in a, in a group this size, there are a few of us that might have started this year feeling like, we start, this is Groundhog Day. We, this is deja vu. I'm experiencing what I experienced the beginning of last year. Oh, wait. And the beginning of the pre- previous, oh, wait. It's been about 17 years since I actually experienced a change by the end of January. So, so, so I'm saying that to encourage you that I, I am genuinely convinced. I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't. I am genuinely convinced that it is possible to change in in a way that is life-giving, in a way that leads to freedom, in a way that leads to increased health, in a way that affects our relationships in a positive way, in a way that that affects mental health, emotional health, um, in a way that helps us turn up at work or at school, in a way that is actually contributing and not just consuming uh, in, in ways that we can actually experience love and joy and peace. I do believe it's possible, but we are the variable. We, we get to participate, we, we, get, to, we get to take steps, we get to, we get to surrender ourselves to wisdom. And so it is not just a token thing for me to pray for us, that we would, on a personal level actually, hear God. Yeah. And so I wanna encourage you, whether you're even convinced or not about the existence of God, and whether or not Jesus is the Son of God, and, and all of the stuff that comes into, into Christianity, I, I think it's okay. I, think, I don't think it lacks integrity to say, God, if you're real, would you speak to me? Would you, would you connect the dots, as it were? Would you help me to see what it is that you want me to see, if you're real? That's, I think that that is a, not only a perfectly acceptable prayer, I think that's a great prayer. I actually think that's a healthy prayer. I think that's a prayer of integrity. So, Father, please, in Jesus' name, would you help us to see you, as it were, to sense you, to, to recognize where you are maybe directing our thoughts, where, where you're bringing something to the surface and it's not for our harm, it's actually for our good. Where, where if you're bringing something to our attention, it is for an invitation, not condemnation. It's to, it's to draw us towards increased life and vitality and flourishing. So please help us to be sensitive to your thoughts, your prompts, your invitations, and please would you help us to recognize, to apply your wisdom, not only to see it and, and kind of receive it, but to actually apply it in our lives. God, I do pray, even now already, that you would give us the perseverance, help us to, to have an attitude that, that whatever it is that we come to understand and commit to applying, God, that, that there would be a, a grit, a determination, a resilience, a perseverance, a willingness to hang in there and endure knowing that anything of significance doesn't get formed overnight. So help us to trust you, help us to persevere with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Go ahead and take your seats. If you were here last week, uh, you would remember that we introduced this idea of, of kind of like a triangle of transformation. We're not, we're not actually really using that language. We, we kind of took a look at a metaphor more of A Venn diagram where we take three key areas of our lives that that if we allow them to come together in the right way and allow the Holy Spirit to to actually apply and use it, you'll see it in a moment, we we look at our thoughts, we look at our practices, and our relationships. Those three things, you don't have to be a Christian to understand this, to, to, to agree with this, to believe this. Scientists, researchers will tell you the same thing. Psychologists will tell you the same thing. A professor um, from the Wharton School of Business in Pennsylvania wrote a book called How We Change. Um, uh, again, another professor, a psychologist, Angela Duckworth wrote the book Grit. Again, looking at, at some of the, be- like, like how research has, has reinforced that the things we do do something to us. So, so She's also connected to a colleague by the name of um, Carol Dweck, who wrote a book called Mindset, which again is, is all about from a research-driven point of view. In my opinion, it's modern research is lining up with the ancient texts of the Bible, which is good, by the way. It's like, oh, God was right. Okay, God maybe he knew what maybe he knew what he was doing, which and I don't mean that facetiously. I'm like, I actually love it that that science, that research is, is able to actually reinforce. And so again, she spoke about this mindset uh, where we either have a fixed mindset or a closed mindset. A fixed mindset basically in summary says like this is it. I can't learn. I can't grow. um, I have a limited set of gifts. I have a limited IQ. I I have a limited ability when it comes to various things. Whereas an open mindset says I can learn. I I can learn from failure. I can get back up again and try something different. A person with an open mindset accepts what what. Historically speaking, is fairly recent language around neuroplasticity and how we can actually rewire our our brains to actually follow life-giving, like positive, constructive patterns, Um, because what has happened in so many cases is that, again, research shows that something like 40% of our behavior on a given day is habitual. We're not even thinking about it. It's just done. And so we already have these grooves, as it were, uh, these, these pathways created in our minds, but... An open mindset says, I can change them. I don't have to be what I've always been. I don't have to do what I've always done. I don't have to, I don't have to repeat my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great grandparents behavior, even though I see trends and patterns, and you might think, well, maybe this is just genetic. And the thing is, in some cases, there are genetics. But a, but a fixed mindset says, well, the genetics leave me predisposed towards addiction. An open mindset says, okay, it would appear as though there's a predisposition towards addiction, What can I do differently that my predecessors didn't do? And that's not with judgment, that's saying, I refuse to be a victim to my life. I refuse to be a victim to my circumstances, I refuse to be a victim to my genetics, I I refuse to be a victim to my personality. I want to change. And by the way, I think that there's a lot at stake. Listen, I'm not preaching at you, bear with me. I feel passionate about this. If we can't change, like, why are we here? I mean, if you feel good enough, if you, if, if everything in your life is per- a perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect sense of fulfillment of destiny, and perfect relationships, perfect, listen, you're delusional. Okay, let's just let's just <laughs> let's just cut to the chase. You're you're you you're not being very objective, and you're not terribly self-aware. We we've all got we've all got room to grow, and and it's not just that we want to be the best versions of ourselves so that we're impressive and can prove anything to anybody else no the the underlying heart behind that is that we have a creator god who actually loves us created us on purpose and hasn't created us to just barely survive through all kinds of garbage and the consequences of other people's choices we we actually have a loving father who wants to help us flourish that doesn't mean it's easy doesn't mean that 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 there's no trouble or obstacles. I want to tell you, in my opinion, at least in my life, it's the complete opposite. Sorry, we don't want to advertise it, but there's no guaranteed shortcut, silver bullet, everything's easy. I actually feel like sometimes the closer we're trying to walk with God, it feels like sometimes the more challenges there are. And I think that a lot of the time God allows it because it actually forces us to go deeper. With some of the superficial formulas that we thought were our way of controlling him and our lives, he's like, actually, I'm going to take you to a deeper place where there's a little bit less control than what you think you have and where you actually have to trust me a little bit more. Faith is a wonderful word until you have to exercise it. Confidence in God is lovely language until you don't know what's around the corner. We can change, and we have a loving Father who wants to help us do this, but we are not helpless, we have agency, we we are a part of this equation, there's a partnership that that takes place, and the first part, it doesn't have to be in this order, because let's be honest, we, we are experiencing these influences all the time, all at the same time. So our thoughts are constantly being influenced. Whether we acknowledge them or not, whether they're conscious or not, we all have practices. What you're doing today, for some of you, this is a practice. This is already in your muscle memory. This is what we do on a Sunday. We come to church. Whether you like it or not, whether you get something out of it or not, whether you give something back to God or not, this is part of your practice. And so that means that sometimes you're just engaged in your ordinary week-by-week practice. And then one day you're in church where we're repeating the phrase, you are good. You are good. You are good. And while some people are getting irritated at the repetition, you're like, wait, you are good. Yeah. Something starts to sink in. Because it's a habit, because it's a practice, something starts to, to go beyond the, just the cerebral to, God, you are good. Right. And all of a sudden, when you've walked in with questions, frustrations, things that maybe you can't even name, all of a sudden, again, this isn't a guarantee. I'm saying, you just carry on doing what you know to do. You, you carry on doing what's life-giving. You engage in life-giving practices. Somewhere, every now and then, there's that moment where it's like, Okay, okay, things are put into perspective. God, you are good. Nothing else has changed. The circumstances that you walked in with have not gone away. But but something that you can't fully explain has shifted. And then you begin to experience a peace. You may even experience a little bit of joy. But it all started with a practice which was most likely influenced by your thoughts. Okay, what I've been doing doesn't seem to be working. Maybe I need, maybe I've been created by someone. Maybe I need to actually trust someone. Maybe I need to trust the creator of the universe to give me wisdom, to direct my life. And so maybe somewhere along the line in your thought process, there's a value on getting into an environment where God's word is taught, where, where maybe even if it's frustrating or irritating for you, there's the occasional moment that we actually just try and get you to be and reflect engaging in a practice like communion, which is a practice, a habit that Jesus encouraged, requested, invited his followers to do 2,000 years ago, and they've been doing it ever since then. Yeah. And again, even though in the natural, for some of us, the idea of having to sit still for a couple of minutes, or, or even 30 seconds, if we're honest, sometimes, is painful and can even be irritating for others because of the practice There's a moment where you actually feel like God might actually give you some perspective. Where He might where, where communion reminds you of His undeserved grace. Where communion reminds you that you've been purchased, bought at the highest possible price. It's free, but it ain't cheap. You are reminded by the practice. Some of you may take up the opportunity at the end of the service to come to the front and just have someone. An individual pray with you, just just a one-on-one prayer. They don't have magic, nothing superstitious about it, it's just someone standing with you, praying with you. You don't control the outcomes, they don't control the outcomes, but it's a practice of prayer. It's practicing what the Bible says when it encourages us to not do it alone, to actually go to somebody. If If we're struggling, if we're in need, let's ask someone, let's confess, let's talk. These are practices. We are not helpless. We are not victims in the sense of us having no agency. We, you may be victims to various circumstances, but you're not a victim. We can do something. And the things we do do something to us. I love how John Markoma uh, in his book Live No Lies says the following, and we touched on this last week, and various people you have different ways of saying this, but he says that the key to spiritual formation, which is ultimately maturing in, in, in our whole person, the key to spiritual formation is to change what we can control, which is things like our habits, to influence what we can't control, which is our flesh. That, that, that word flesh makes reference to like my human nature, the carnal part of me. How many of you are, from, are aware of the carnal side of you? Yeah. There's that ugly side where you want to hurt people, where you judge, or where you want revenge, or or where you just want to feed every you know any and every desire, you know every, every craving that comes up. That's that's the flesh. Where where there's a part of my mind that's that, that's saying this is what the word of God says, but then there's another part, my flesh, that's saying yeah yeah, but that's not right. You didn't do anything to deserve that. That's not fair. This this shouldn't be like this. I've done what I can. It's so we do what we can do. We change what we can, which are things like our habits. So what do we feed our minds on? Creating space, for example, to spend time with God, but other practical habits like getting enough rest, watching our nutrition, being very intentional about about who we hang out with. We we do what we can in order to position ourselves for that which we can't control to actually be influenced. Is this making sense? We are not victims. We have agency. We do what we can. Now. This, this following statement is from the author of Atomic Habits. You've probably seen it advertised somewhere. It sold about 10 million copies. Came out a few years ago. I read it a few years ago. I've reread it. There, there's a lot of practical advice on habit formation and trying to break unhelpful habits. Secular book. But loads of wisdom. You know, there's a lot of... I mean, wisdom is wisdom, right? Right is right. Anyway, he, James Clear sends out an email every week uh, I don't know, to how many millions of people. Anyway, just just with a couple of thoughts. And he asked this question the other day on one of his emails. Are the results I am expecting aligned with the habits I am following each day? Are the results I am expecting? So, consciously or subconsciously, we would all like some kind of result. We would all like some kind of change, right? But, But are my habits aligned with my hopes, is another way of putting it. Or... Is there just hope? Hope's good. Please don't lose hope. But, but hope that doesn't transform to action, to, to some kind of habit to actually doing what we can. We're just going to find ourselves in the exact same place. Six months from now, a year from now, 15 years from now. So, in case anyone's panicking about whether or not this is in Scripture, yes it is. Romans 12 verse 2. We looked at this last week as it relates to our mind, but it also talks about Our behavior says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. For many of us, if we just meditated on that part alone, (laughs) there would be a lot of inevitable changes in our lives, especially perhaps as it refers to media, which I struggle with, by the way, because I like to escape. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So so changing the way we think will change. Will we'll give God the space to actually transform us, but it's because we're not just changing the way we think, we're also changing the way we are behaving. We are changing our customs. We all have customs. Customs is another word for values, habits, practices. It's the things we do, because the things we do, do something to us. Okay, some of you look like you're about to nod off, so let me... Let me, let me get, bear, bear with this. I'm not trying to patronize you. I want you to repeat this after me in a moment. The things we do, do something to us. You ready? One, two, three. The things we do, do something to us. Let's make it a little bit more personal. The things I do. The things I do, do something to me. You look back over the last week. So let's speak in the past tense. The things I did, did something to me. Anyone feeling discouraged? (laughs) Okay, I really hope not because this is actually good news. We can make a change. Philippians 4 verse 9 says something very similar. Keep putting into practice. If you're anything like me, not only do I want to be able to just learn it and it'd be okay, I wish. There are times where I've literally thought, God, can't you just put like a microchip into my brain? Like just, just change it, just change my thinking. I want it to just be easy, sorted, guaranteed, not have to figure stuff out. It's not, just, it's not just, no, I'm not gonna just change your mind like that, and no, it's not just that we need to know and understand correctly. The hard work, which is where I think the average Christian really struggles. And why the average Christian doesn't experience a lot of transformation is that we actually have to keep putting into practice the things that are actually going to lead to life. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. In other words, Paul, who's the author of this part, is saying, like, don't just hear what I've said, do it. Now, in case Paul isn't enough of an authority for you. Jesus. Not Jason, Jesus says, in Matthew 7, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built a house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, so notice the variable isn't the hearing. Everyone's hearing. The wise and the foolish, they all receive the same information. They all receive the same knowledge, as, as it were. But does not put them into practice. He's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down the streams streams rose. The winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell with a great crash. Jesus is saying, guys, don't just hear. Don't don't just agree. Don't even just be moved. Like, oh, that felt lacquer today. Like, oh. (laughs) I got goosebumps. And then three hours later, it's like, so what are you going to do about it? Wait, uh, What? And again, please understand, I, am, I, I promise you, there isn't, there isn't an ounce of motivation in my heart to be facetious. I'm telling you that this is what I wrestle with. This, this, I'm speaking to myself. Yeah. I'm speaking from a position of healthy desperation of I want, I want to keep progressing. I want to keep being the healthiest, best version of who God's called me to be. And for, for that to take place, it's not just knowledge. It's not... Although we need that, but it's the application, it's practices. So here are a couple of principles when trying to apply practices into your lives. For some of you, this is good news. The first is simply this, prioritize one practice. Prioritize one practice. If you're an overachiever, if you're a perfectionist, if if you've got an A-type personality, you're like, shut up, Jason, just move on, because there's no way I'm going to prioritize one thing. I want to tackle 17 things and it's going to be sorted by the end of February. I don't mean this facetiously, but come back to me at the end of February. And let me know how you're going on the 17 things. Because again, I'm speaking from experience. It's not that we don't want to change more than one thing, but I want to encourage you to prioritize the one thing that is likely to change more than one thing. So here's the question. What is one thing I can change that will change More than one thing. What is one thing I can change that will change more than one thing? And again, if you've been around for a while, you've heard us say everything's spiritual. So this isn't just okay. I better memorize more scripture. Although for some people that's going to be it. It's not just I need to pray more. For some people that's going to be it. But it's for others. It's I actually need to prioritize the people I hang out with. I need to get into a group. I I need to. I need to. I need to. I need to. I've had this great intention of asking that person to go for a cup of coffee. For like three years, I'm actually going to, I'm putting a reminder on my phone. I'm going to get hold of that person this week, and I'm going to to risk, I'm going to experiment with a little bit of vulnerability. Or I'm going to, once and for all, sort out my sleep routine so that I have enough energy to actually do everything else that I need to do. Everything spiritual. What is one thing that you can change that will hopefully help change more than one thing. If you ever read the book of Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit, that was the first book I read years ago on habit, um, which again, just like opened up some, some understanding for me, both on a personal level, on a corporate level, on a communal level. In fact, he even does a study on, on, uh, on a church level in terms of habits in churches. He's not a Christian, he was a, he's a New York Times, He was a New York Times columnist. Um, he did a case study on Rick Warren's church. You might be familiar with The Purpose Driven Life. Um, Great Church in Orange County, California, emphasizing the, the role of habits. And he's the first person. I don't know if, he, if it originated with him, but he's the first person I heard of that spoke about the idea of a keystone habit. And the, the simple point is that all of us, in different seasons, will have a keystone habit. It's that one habit that's going to have a knock-on effect on the most other little habits. It's that catalyst. So that's what I'm saying. It could be, for some people, it absolutely is. I'm going to, once and for all, carve out 15 minutes a day before I put my phone on, which assumes that you put your phone off the night before, I'm gonna spend 15 minutes a day with God. That might be a keystone habit that starts having a knock-on effect to the way you pursue everything else in your day, in your week, in your month. It could be people, it could be sleep, exercise. What is the keystone habit? Again, Paul, the author from some of the other passages we read from the Bible, says in Philippians 3, verse 13, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. In other words, he's like, I've got a priority. I'm focused. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. He's like, I'm pressing on to one thing. There is a priority and this is why Jesus, in Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14, so earlier in the same passage that I read from just now, also makes reference to the narrow gate. The reality is the, the, the road that leads to life is narrower. That means that there are fewer options. I have guardrails. I don't just do anything and everything I feel like because I'm actually trying to stay on the path that leads to life. What is one thing I can change? There will change more than one thing. Number two, do less more rather than more less. Do less more rather than more less. Again, this is speaking to certain personality types that want to, okay, I'm going to get healthy this year. I am going to exercise for three hours, six days a week. <laughs> and you've got to figure it out on paper before you start. And, and it's going to be that hour there and then, that, and, then, and then another hour and a half. And, and you've got it all figured out, but then... Life happens and you realize, okay, wait, maybe I should have started with like 10 minutes a day because I haven't exercised in 13 years. (laughs) I mean, I'm exaggerating and and I'm deliberately trying to be comical, but I wonder how many people give up and get discouraged because they're not willing to start small and do it more consistently. One of the greatest quotes as it relates to to habits that, that has that struck me years ago and it has stuck with me is by pastor and author, Craig Rochelle, who, by the way, is also releasing a book in two weeks' time called The Power to Change, where he also is drawing together research, experience, etc. in terms of help, again, helping people change. He says the following, successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Consistency. He's not saying what bad people do occasionally, what people that have no vision do occasionally. He's like, no, just what, in other words, it's everybody else. The, like normal people. All of us that are normal, we, we try and do good things occasionally. But, the, but people that actually experience change, that flourish, there's, just, there's something about them that commits to consistency. And so, and so a lot of the time that means we need to lower the bar, which might sound very ungodly or unspiritual to you. I, I don't mean morally, I mean... Again, you might think, I've got to spend at least fill in the blank amount of time with God a day. So the idea of only starting with 10 minutes or 15 minutes might just seem very weak and poor. No, it's not. F- like, just just get a habit going. Ro- five minutes. Some of you are like, is he even a Christian? He- well, how's it been working for you so far? Yeah. That's all I'm asking. If it hasn't... If you don't do anything different, you're not going to experience anything different. If nothing changes, nothing changes. So, so let's just, I know it sounds so weak to say, let's start easy, but start easy. If it's a habit that you haven't already laid a foundation to, start, rather start with five or ten minutes a day, and, and if you can build on that, great. Maybe you're starting with a single, a single verse, a single scripture a day. Maybe eventually you're, you're able to read a paragraph, maybe eventually you're able to read a chapter or you're able to work through a devotional that helps unpack it. Maybe you're praying for five minutes a day and eventually you start to, like this isn't a duty, I'm actually enjoying this. And, you, and it grows. Those of you that have, have experimented with trying to practice silence, like silent prayer, where, you, where, where you're not praying, silence, which feels like torture after 17 seconds. Yeah. Again, I'm saying start with a minute or two minutes. Don't start at 20. And, anyway. oh guys, I am go on for days. All right. This is very, very hard. <clears throat> just a, just a, f- a simple point that, again, stood out to me in James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, as, as it relates to consistency. He says, like, there are going to be days where you fail. There are going to be days that you miss. But he says, if you miss once, don't miss twice. If you miss once... Domus twice. In fact, he uses a phrase that some might find a little bit crass. He says, he says we, need a, we need to fight back against the to hell with it mindset. In other words, I'm in a, I don't know, maybe you're trying to eat clean and you had a muffin or you had a whatever, fill in the blank, this morning, I was like, oh, well, to hell with it. Uh, I, I already broke the routine this morning, so I'm going to go big. Come on, where are my people at? Anyone, anyone relate to that? It's like, hey, okay, like, it's, it's already out the window, so like, if we're going to do it, let's do this thing properly. right? So maybe you had a bad day. Maybe you had a bad week. Maybe you had a bad year. Don't give up. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally, which leads to principle number three, which is to embrace monotony. You need to be okay with monotony. What I'm about to say, I mean with heartfelt respect. I think I think of Gen Z, our, our younger generations, and and their commitment and desire to make a difference, to be passionate about a cause, to to not wait until they're 60 before they can do something that 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 matters. They're not waiting for half time. They're not waiting until they've built a life and then okay, can I do some good? Like like they want to, they want their lives to count for something already, and. And I think that that is, I think that's from God. I think that's good. I think the shadow side of that, and I think a challenge that many of us face, is that we don't always feel like the monotony. We don't always feel like the ordinary. There, there are going to be a lot of ordinary days. There are going to be a lot of ordinary practices, a lot of ordinary habits. I think, I think people that have a desire To fight for justice are people that need the strongest habits when it comes to just monotonously, consistently slowing down, being quiet with God, allowing God to to work with the anger that is inevitably going to well up when you see injustice. That's going to help you not dehumanize the people that are dehumanizing other people. That's going to help you not hate the people that are expressing hatred towards others. To not want revenge on those that have exploited and used and abused others. You need the strongest habit when it comes to just allowing God to keep things in perspective. That we're doing it for the right reason. That we're doing it from a place of love. Because without us even realizing it, we can't start doing it from a place of hatred, which now actually starts to reflect the very people and the very things that we're trying to act against. Embrace monotony. That might mean that you're really bored with your exercise routine. Suck it up, princess. <laughs> be bored. You might be bored. I, I mean, if there's if there's something that you can change, great. But, but don't don't give up. You might be bored with trying to be disciplined on the weekends, with still getting enough sleep because you've noticed. Oh wait, I'm actually really tired on a Monday morning. Maybe partying until four a.m. isn't like the best idea. If I if I go and like catch up. Like it's okay. Anyway, guys. There are going to be times in your relationship with God, in your habits there. There are going to be times, I don't know too many people that get excited about budgeting and recording their spending. I, I know one couple that are very diligent, I'm hoping there's more than one, but that are very diligent at like, at like reviewing and adjusting the, their, their spending and budget every week. I'm sure it must be very, like that is not, that's not how I want to spend an evening. But you embrace the monotony. Maybe you feel like, uh, in fact, I think that a lot of people would agree that sitting in front of the TV having a meal is far more stimulating, and especially if you're watching something that you want to watch, or, or computer, phone, I mean, nowadays you don't have to have a TV, just a screen, can be, can be far more t- t- titillating, like, like it's, it's stimulating, it's encouraging, uh, not encouraging, it's, it's lacquer, okay, versus, okay, uh, you know, we, we, there's nothing on and we just, like, and it's face-to-face. And if you have kids of a certain age, you ask them, how was your day? Fine. What did you do at school today? Nothing. <laughs> and it's like, okay, put something on. You know, it's like, it's, it's like it's, 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 it can be monotonous. But if you, if you have a conviction about a certain habit, practice, that you feel like God is inviting you to commit to, then, then persevere through the monotony. I remember I mentioned this a couple of years ago, reading a book, on Sabbath and, and just just rest in general. And anyway, the guy was talking about how, um, how like Sabbath should actually almost be like celebrating Christmas every week, like every seven days, um, where it's just, you're ready for it, you prepare for it, you, you, you enjoy a feast on, on your level in terms of what you can from a meal point of view. And then he made the point, if every day is a feast, then no day is a feast. Yeah. And I was like, it just struck me. Yeah, if I'm trying to find emotional pleasure in every meal, every day, it's probably not gonna be very healthy for me, or very good for me. It's gonna be very hard for anything to stand out from the others, but also, there is a monotony to just trying to follow a healthy routine. Let's embrace monotony. And then lastly, persevere towards progress. Persevere, 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 persevere. Nobody changes on the deepest level, suddenly. I mean, there might be, let me let me correct that. There could be a mind shift, which is in a moment. And for some people, maybe that's even happening today. There is absolutely a moment spiritually that we open ourselves up to God, and in the language of the Bible, we become a new creation. So there is, there is, and actually says you become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So so there there are those things that can happen in a moment. A revelation can happen in a moment. You can click onto something in a moment, but Actual transformation, where it gets into your life, where it gets into your relationships, where it gets into your heart, where it gets into your bones, where it gets into your behavior, where you become someone that can love your enemy, that doesn't happen in a moment. It might begin at a prayer line. It doesn't end there. We actually have to persevere. We need to be quick to obey. And this might sound strange, but slow to review. In other words, don't judge your habit too quickly and I'm not talking about moral stuff judge that quickly I'm talking about uh, you know I've tried to tweak my sleep routine my eating routine my exercise routine my time with God I've, I've tried fasting you know once a week Or I've tried that Sabbath thing that they're always beating the drum about don't judge it quickly we need the consistency we need to, we need to persevere with the consistency Generally speaking, for long. I know that's not exciting. But 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 for even the simplest habit to be replaced in our lives, and you are replacing, make no mistake, if you're trying to form a habit, you're fighting against a habit that already exists. and And the more ingrained it is, the harder it is to change. It'll be like at a minimum 30 days. But more likely 60, 90, 120. Like, don't judge it quickly persevere please don't fear failure don't fear messing up and i mean that on every level i think that god is quick to invite us back onto the path at least alive don't allow the enemy because there's a lot of truth in his accusation to keep you where you are fight against it get back up again i love this idea well, I don't like it. I don't love it. I, but it's, it's helpful for me. John Mark makes and, and Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, talk about the J-curve. Where, where in so many cases, when you start to try and make a change, you actually can feel like you're going down first before coming up. Yeah. James Clear in his book, Something Happens, calls it the value of despair. I thought J-curve sounded better. But the value of despair is like, wait, I'm not seeing the results I thought I was going to see. I'm feeling worse first. That's okay. Persevere towards progress. If you miss once, don't miss twice. Keep persevering. Don't be seduced into thinking that your practices don't matter. It matters more than we realize. The only problem is that often, too often, we only see the real effects of it years down the line. Similarly, we might only see the real benefits to it, years down the line. Keep persevering towards progress. came across this statement some time ago. Again, I had to stumble onto it a few times before it really grabbed me. I'm hoping that for someone this might encourage you. This is written by, actually, this is the guy that wrote the book I mentioned about Sabbath accepting. I wasn't in that book, but his name is Mark Buchanan, author, etc., and he was referring to two ladies that he had visited with who were on their deathbed and, and just how he, he, he had known them for years to just be people, the kind of people that you want to be. Just people of love, people of generosity, people of presence, like they're present with you, they're kind. Anyway, it was in that context that, that he made the following statements in the forward to another book. He said, tenacious and subversive and attractive spiritual robustness doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen by wishing or trying. I wish it did. It is a long obedience in the same direction. Here's the part that I want you to absorb. It is formed in the daily. Strengthened in the ordinary. It is a slow and steady and deliberate gathering of the years. It is a combination of keen attentiveness to God, to self, to others, to life, and to holy indifference, to trifles, insults, and useless distractions. Let's persevere towards progress. Let's let's be okay with the monotonous. Let's fight against discouragement. Author and pastor Ray Johnson says that discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses on a person just before he reaches in and carves out his heart. Discouragement, very few people can sort out your discouragement for you. You've got to sort out your discouragement. Again, I would argue we've got to slow down. We've got to get with God. We've got to allow God to remind us, to renew a vision, to to renew his purposes. And we fight back doggedly, daily, with perseverance, through monotony. This might sound like a weird statement, but I want you to hear me because this is what I believe. If I fail you, if I fail my family, if I fail my purpose, it's not gonna be because God's not good enough. It's not gonna be because God isn't who we say He is. It's not gonna be because I don't love God. It's not gonna be because I don't love people. It's not gonna be because I don't wanna make a difference. It's gonna be because I don't persevere with the things we've just spoken about. It's gonna be because I don't persevere doggedly towards guarding my mind, my thoughts, towards towards reviewing the things I do, my practices, because the things I do do something to me. And if I don't make sure that I've got life-giving people around me that can speak life, that can give perspective, that don't help dig the hole deeper, if I, if I don't allow those things in my life to position me to stay healthy and vital with God. That's why, that's why our faith should not fundamentally be rocked when someone we trust fails and lets us down and maybe even turns out to be a hypocrite. It, it doesn't mean that what they taught or thought isn't correct. It means that we haven't guarded our hearts, that we haven't fought hard for life-giving practices we haven't kept the right people around us that can have tough conversations, that can, that can love us and be a friend to our future, not just our feelings. On that note, I want you to stand. And I wanna remind you that there is a lot at stake. There is a lot at stake for us to prioritize the ways that we change. Because whether we like it or not, we're changing. Whether we like it or not, we are becoming. Whether we like it or not, we're all being formed or deformed, depending on how you wanna define it. No one stays stagnant. So I'm saying, let's not do it by accident. Let's not do it by default. Let's do it deliberately, let's do it by design, let's be intentional, let's, let's have a very, very conscious approach to, to what we think, to what we do, and as we'll say, see next week, to the people that we allow to influence us. You're going to be around people, but, but the people that you give influence to in your life, you're okay to be a little bit jajarah. Not ugly, I just mean, whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry, I'm not giving you my heart. I'm not giving you my mind. I'm not going to allow you to influence my habits and practice. But before we